Blog Talk Radio. Welcome back, you health renaissance people. Today we're going to talk about heart and lung health, which is really interesting because we're also going to talk about vitamins, blood, how the body can literally regenerate itself. And with the censorship limitations, I'll be able to mention a little bit about vitamins and tell you a little bit in context uh, they can use. But I can't say vitamins cure stuff, even though they do. So um, here's a quote from Benjamin Franklin. Being ignorant is not so much a shame as being unwilling to learn. Welcome to 2020, baby. Okay, now I encourage you to share this information um, because I'm telling you, the next six months, they're going to be wiping out every free speech platform. Uh, go to drbvip.com. Uh, if you could support us there, that'd be fantastic. You get all our censored information, all the information that the Minister of Truth won't allow. But you also get the, the sites in PDF format so you can cut, copy, paste, share, and get this information out. Um, your, your help is super appreciated. Um, and also join the Extreme Health Academy. You're talking like-minded people who have gone through every health circumstance you can imagine. I mean, I was on there for a webinar, two hours, 45 minutes Sunday, talking to people from everywhere on the planet, Portugal, Australia, and to hear what what's happening in those areas, but also to hear these people that have come up with health challenges and um, conquered them. So Extreme Health Academy. So let's look at the heart first. Now, the heart is a muscle. It's got four chambers, the atrium on the top, ventricles on the bottom. But it's really the electrical aspect that we've got, got to be talking about because the nerve has an automatic function. Like, you don't have to think about speeding it up or slowing it down. It does that based on um, the environment. And you've got a couple of different sensors on there. But mainly, you've got the nerve supply, um, one part is parasympathetic, and that's located in the top of the neck area. Um, the other part is the sympathetic nerve supply, um, and that's in the top of the thoracic area, the rib cage area. So you literally have two automatic nerves that supply the heart. Now, the heart has the diesel engine, which is the parasympathetic, located in the neck, and then um, the one for excited activity or sympathetic activity, fight or flight, is the sympathetic. Now, the way it goes, it goes from those automatic nervous systems to the sinal atrial node. Now, if you look at the, think of four chambers, the atrium on the top, ventricle that's on the bottom. So the sinal atrial node is also called the pacemaker of the heart. So that's the one that initiates contractions, squeeze in both atriums so they can fill up the ventricles and then the ventricles contract, and the ventricles, one side sends the blood out to the lungs, the other sends the blood out to the body. So the ventricles are super muscular. But, you know, you got to figure if you're going to squeeze one, you have to have a little bit of time or spacing in there to allow the ventricles to fill. Uh, so the SA node goes to the AV node, and this is how we used to explain it to the students that the AV node would slow down the impulse of the heart, allowing the ventricles to fill up. And then it goes to um, bundle hiss, the Purkinje fibers, and then it sends it uh, out the nerve impulse out to the muscles. So you've got inside um, a nerve system, 
but it's mainly the outside one that's more important on how the 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 the, the body functions so everything functions with this automatic nervous system and uh, literally it controls everything uh, so so what what's normal blood pressure how do they come up with this well, if you thought normal blood pressure was 120 over 80, um, you're completely wrong because that was way back in 1997. Now, we, there's a joint national committee that meets about every 10 years or so, and, you know, a bunch of pharmaceutical reps and hospital owners, and they're called the Joint National Committee. Well, in Joint National Committee 6, that was 1997. They said everybody on the planet, 120 over 80. Doesn't matter if you're 12 years old or, you know, 400 pound um, contractor. Now, um, that changed the optimal in 2004 to 115 over 75. And now it's interesting. In 1997, the normal or optimal was now considered prehypertensive. Now, how did that work, changing everybody's uh, blood pressure, not looking at whether the cause of why it's high or low, but just giving them medications to lower it 115 over 75? Well, it must not have worked out real well because in 2014, they raised the normal, uh, if you're uh, under 60, to 140 over 90, okay, which would have been hypertension back in 1997. And if you're over 60, they raise the normal to 150 over 90. Wow. So, so that kind of makes sense that, that the blood pressure is really going to, uh, you can't gauge it. So why is it a dynamic um, aspect? I mean, you, you may have heard the science is settled. Um, well, science is never settled. Science is always questioning. It's, it's kind of like if Galileo said, wow, we can see all the stars with my telescope. We don't need to look further. Or <laughs> Newton said, yeah, man, we got all the math down. Uh, no, uh, science is always learning, particularly when it comes to human physiology. And in fact, um, the University of Alabama found out that lowering blood pressure with chemicals or with medications actually increased your risk of stroke. And people who were taking three blood or more medications were at a 248% higher risk um, than those um, with normal blood pressure. And I love the quote of the article, you're in as much trouble by the time you're on three medications that achieve excellent control as when you're on hypertension is untreated, which is amazing, said the but let's look at that. Why? Well, first, blood has a function. It actually brings oxygen, balances pH, vital the immune system. And when you're in a stress state, um, your blood starts to clump together because when you're in a stress state, you produce um, uh, less stomach acid. And that means there's less available amino acids. And under stress, the blood cells start to get sticky and clump together. Uh, so I'm going to show some pictures of what normal blood cells look like acutely stressed or chronically stressed. Now, that's a big challenge because, remember, blood pressure, it's gauged on various aspects. I mean, the blood's got to have a function. It's got to hold oxygen, carry oxygen to the tissue. 
So if the blood is not efficient at doing that, then pressure has to go up. Uh, so is high blood pressure really a disease or an adaptation? Now you've got sensors in your neck, and these sensors are a major, major importance. One's a bearer receptor or pressure receptor. The other is a chemo or chemical receptor. So one checks the blood pressure, one checks the carbon dioxide levels, and these are located in the neck. Now, now what's what's interesting with that is the blood. So you've got the heart. Off of the heart comes these arteries that go up to the head. They're called the carotids. And when they split to internal and external carotid, they literally, that's at that junction, is the pressure sensor and the carbon dioxide sensor. So if carbon dioxide levels go up, bam, that, that brain sends a signal down to the heart to, put the, to increase the heart function to get more blood flowing through the heart. If carbon dioxide levels are down, since carbon dioxide is great to balance pH, then the heart rate slows down, so the carbon dioxide levels can go up. So it's always checking pressure and carbon dioxide levels to balance the pH of the body. So now, aren't you thinking, wow, lungs are super important? Absolutely, and the health of the blood. Well, it also turns out that if you have stress, chronic stress, and remember, the heart has two nerve supplies, um, one of them coming out of the upper neck. Great article at a German journal of human hypertension. Um, it, it turned out that just adjusting the top bone of the neck, um, it had a sustained reduction in blood pressure similar to two-drug combination therapy. Now, I just read the article that said if you're taking multiple prescriptions to lower your blood pressure, that you have an increase in heart problems. Uh, well, yeah, you take the pressure off of the area that supplies the nerve or through a chiropractic adjustment. It actually has a better effect than two blood pressure medications. So think of that. So the health of the blood is vital to the health of the lung function and heart function. So when CO2 levels go up, the heart rate has to the heart has to get more oxygen to get rid of that CO2 to the lungs. So if the blood's not efficient, then blood pressure has to go up in order to get the the body working correctly or to get the oxygen to the lungs. Now, what if somebody has a sedentary lifestyle? Okay, and they're not breathing a lot. They're not exercising. They're not doing, you know, the the way your body is designed. Does that mean the carbon dioxide levels are going to build up and blood pressure needs to build up even higher? Absolutely. So this is why people that exercise tend to have healthier blood pressures. But let's, let's look more into this. Because when we look at the lung function, the lung function is also located in the neck. And I used to tell the students, C3, C4, C5 keeps you alive. And it does. That means the cervical spine, the middle cervical spine, C3, C4, and C5, that is where the diaphragm, the phrenic nerve, comes out of. Now, in diaphragmatic breathing is huge, and this is what we teach everybody who's been misdiagnosed with high blood pressure. Wait, did I just say misdiagnosed with high blood pressure? Yeah, because is high blood pressure a disease or an adaptation to stressed blood stress digestion, stress lung function, or some kind of stress. I mean, we're, we're looking at physical, chemical, or emotional stress. So high blood pressure doesn't exist, 
but the stress does, and that's the key. Now, when you breathe in, and I'm going to show everybody here how to deep breathe diaphragmatically. When you breathe in, your lungs, you've got the bottom two-thirds, which is the greatest surface area. Then you've got the top one-third. So if I tell you to take a deep breath right now, and you like that, your chest is going to move up and your tummy is going to come in. And that's horrible. That's breathing like an American. What we want you to do is breathe like a human being. So you're going to put your hands on your tummy. You're going to push your tummy in. When you push your tummy in, all the air is going to come out. So I usually tell my patients, I'm going to punch in the stomach. So put your hands on your stomach, and on three, you're going to push your stomach in, and all your air is going to come out. So ready? One, two, three. Push your tummy in. <sighs> Blew all your air out. Now, breathe in through your nose and fill your tummy up with air. So the tummy's moving, the chest isn't. Now, push in and blow out. <sighs> Breathe in and fill that tummy up with air. Now, if you do two or three of these, you're going to get dizzy because you're using the bottom two-thirds of your lungs, which most people aren't used to using. And that's going to get a huge amount of oxygen in the system, which is fantastic, particularly if you're in a stressed state and your blood's not holding oxygen. And then we also got to look at the, the bronchus or the air tubes. Um, now, you have a thin lining, lining the alveoli, all the little parts called, um, uh, this is a very thin fluid uh, called surfactant. And the surfactant, it's really thin and clear. It allows oxygen to transfer. Um, amazing. People with asthma have 10 times the amount of mucus in there and less surfactant. Plus, if you're dehydrated, you produce less surfactant. So it's water is vital to healthy lung function, vital. And we're going to cover some of the vitamins that are important too. But if you have asthma, you're also dehydrated, and you have a huge amount of mucus production. So what do you think is the best course to fix asthma? Well, obviously, restoring nerve supply to the lungs would be a good idea. And where is that? C3, C4, C5, baby. So you restore that nerve supply. Then you've got the cardiac and respiratory center at the top of the neck. That'd be a good place to look at. And then you got the insertion of that big breathing muscle, the diaphragm, located at the base of the thoracic area in the top of the lumbar. So if you look at the insertion of the di diaphragm, um, C3, C4, C5 keeps you alive with the phrenic nerve and the cardiac and respiratory center located at the base of the brain, you're restoring the nerve supply to the structure. Then if you look at gut function and how healthy is the blood, you can thin that out by using vasodilators like um, capsaicin, cayenne pepper. Uh, you can also do blood thinners like omega-3s. Vitamin C is amazing, and water is the best blood thinner. So there's a lot of ways to deal with the mucus production. Now, it's interesting when you look at asthma, because asthma is hugely popular now, rural lifestyle, um, exposure to farm animals, drinking raw milk, presence of pests in the house, all protect against asthma. And knowing that a lot of parents um, are completely freaked out now because they are watching the programming on TV, they're putting... Um, all these antiseptics, um, Purell on kids, they're covering their faces uh, with, with masks. I've got a relative that's doing that. 
And this is actually creating um, a problem with hygiene. I know you think, no, 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 I'm putting Purell all over my child. Well, the, we need bacteria, we need viruses, we need funguses, and the Purell is actually going to be killing that. And that's not good for the adults, it's not good for the kids, or any of that. So we need healthy bacteria in our gut, in our, in our homes, on our skin, everywhere. And in fact, um, an environment rich in microbial organisms is beneficial to building infants resistant to asthma. That's out of the British Medical Journal. And uh, according to the World Health Organization, the search for environmental agents that protect against asthma is extremely important and probably holds the best chance for successful prevention and control of the disease. Because you've got to know, there's a heck of a lot more people dying of asthma. Now, all the blood has to filter down through these little capillaries. And we're talking it's about one cell thick. So that means that if your blood is thick, or, or it's going to be blocking those capillaries, it's not going to have a good flow. So the health of the blood is huge. Now you have these little clusters of grapes called alveoli. And these grapes clusters are always constricting and dilating. Constricting and dilating. Constricting means it's blowing the air out. Dilating means it's sucking the air in. Now what's interesting is the lungs always want to collapse. And the rib cage always wants to expand. So you have this space, it's called a pleural space, in between the lungs and the rib cage. So there's always a little vacuum in there. This is why if you ever get stabbed or have the, the chest pierced in any way, the lungs can actually collapse. And the way that you keep the person alive is by putting some, um, some way to create a vacuum in that opening. So know that the lungs want to collapse and the rib cage wants to pop out. So there's always that gap there. But the alveoli, the health of the alveoli, has got to be maintained. Now, if you look at blood, and I'm going to show a couple of examples here of blood that's stressed. And one guy, and this is a canola farmer from Canada. This is, of course, back before 2020 where Canadians were allowed to, tr to travel. But he had horrible blood. It looks like worms. But interesting, with the exposure to glyphosates, which are a natural uh, mineral chelator and a natural antibiotic, or not natural, but it's an antibiotic, um, it destroyed his blood. So we did five days of detoxing IV nutrients adjustments, and we got his blood looking a little bit healthier, which, which helped. And that kind of makes sense when you look at the data. I mean, the Journal of the American Medical Association said heart failure patients with high systolic blood pressures had lower death rates. And mortality rates were four times higher for those with normal systolic blood pressure of 120 compared to those who had pressure of over 161. And this was from a study in 48,000 heart failure patients at 259 U.S. hospitals. So, and think of that. Heart failure, do they have a healthy immune system or traumatized system? Traumatized. So is the blood going to look healthy and be efficient at transferring oxygen, or is the blood going to have a challenge? It's going to have a challenge. So wouldn't it make sense that the body would elevate its pressure in order to get this 
inefficient blood through the um, blood vessels to get that carbon dioxide moving and to get the oxygen transferred? Of course it does. Of course it does. That just makes common sense. So we're going to go over a couple of breathing techniques. One, nasal diaphragmatic breathing. That's what I just showed you. You put your hands on your tummy, push in and blow out, breathe in through your nose and fill your tummy up with air. There's also conscious breathing, and this is, um, we have beginning and master. Um, if you breathe in, what you want to do is breathe out twice as long as you breathe in. So if you're breathing in to a count of, say, eight, 1,001, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, and then you hold your breath for about 10 seconds to begin, and then you exhale, at twice as long as you breathe in, or about 16 seconds. Then you blow out all your air. Then, with no air in your lungs, you hold that for 10 seconds if you're a beginner. So there's no air in your lung. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, then breathe in. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8. Okay, now you're going to be repeating this, and if you do this for about 10, 15 minutes, it's amazing. Um, because you're expanding and contracting your lung both ways. So it's going to help with the health of the lung. It's going to oxygenate the system, but it's going to be practicing um, actually conscious breathing because the more you get into the diaphragm, the more you understand that you're expanding your whole lung tissue, the better oxygen carbon dioxide transfer that you have. Um, I've got an article here, and because... We, I just showed you how there's a number of different um, changes in blood pressure. Well, here's one out of Medscape, and this is 2014, so it's a while ago. And you may have heard that, that blood pressure um, is in, implicated with salt. So the American Heart Association has a guideline of 1.5 grams per deciliter of sodium. And, and, you know, that's, that's their guideline. And according to some of the great gods now, and this is a good example for today, that is it set in stone. The science is done. Well, what they found out, okay, and this was um, estimated sodium excretion at risk of death or cardiovascular events, and they studied 101,000 peoples in 17 countries. And they found out that four to 6 um, to 10 deciliters of sodium per, or grams of sodium per day. So you're talking 5 to 10 times had lower death rates than the 1.5 grams per day the American Heart Association has. So presented with this data, wouldn't you think the American Heart Association would say, hey, you know what, salt's good for you? Nope. What this article goes on to state is quote hopefully this will be a lesson to improve impact will prove to be impactful because it certainly has not been the case to date such as in cholesterol blood pressure prostate specific antigen mammography and a very long list of poorly conceived non-anchored guidelines wow yeah you're not going to hear that guy on the news and we also have articles according to statin drugs which are supposed to protect your heart, actually increase hardening of the arteries and heart failure. Um, we've got a great article here on aspirin a day um, that if you take an aspirin a day, you have save around 33 lives out of 100,000. So that means 
999,970 um, people will take the aspirin and not have a positive benefit. Of course, you're going to increase gastrointestinal bleeding, so about 120 people will die there, and increase hemorrhagic stroke, about 10 people. So you'll save around 35, and you'll lose around 120. Um, does that make sense? No. No. So let's, let's change that. Now, um, I'm also going to show some blood samples. And since we can't say the current jab out, we can't really say... Um, Covidian, okay, you know, if you know, so we're going to call it Voldemort, okay, just because I'm a big Harry Potter fan, like the movies. I know there's a lot of things in the movies that are not good socially. Okay, I just enjoy a good movie now and then. So we're going to call the Voldemort uh, the jab. So I'm going to show a blood analysis of no Voldemort, of not a normal sample, but a sample that is somewhat normal with with certain stressors and a couple of different um, things on it. And then I'm going to show what happens after a jab and that why uh, this jab is currently linked to certain challenges with heart, lungs, and brains. So we're going to skip over that really quick because since so many people are exposed to the jab and so many people are um, suffering effects of viral shedding, of people working with people that have gotten the jam. Capsaicin, okay, and this is one of the most important things that you could take because there are fibrin formation, there's clotting in the blood, it's horrible. Now, capsaicin has a protective antioxidant effect in the liver, um, helps, and these are rodent studies, um, hardening the arteries, metabolic syndrome, diabetes, um, cardiac hypertrophy, uh, hypertension, stroke risk, it reduces all of those. But it's, think of this, it's vasodilator, it opens up the blood vessels, increases nitric oxide um, production, helps with the coronary tree, which may be responsible for improved exercise tolerance um, from capsaicin. But the big thing is we got to stop the blood clots. Now, nutrition, you're talking intermittent fasting is going to be excellent, but no processed sugar, um, less animal proteins. Because if your blood's in that state, of, particularly after getting a jab, um, you do not you you want to process your nutrients efficiently. So no GMOs, no white flour, no toxic fats, no gluten, and if you can't avoid gluten altogether, particularly the toxic gluten that's out there. Pine needle tea um, and NATO kinase is the greatest pine needle tea super high in vitamin C. It's antiviral, antibacterial, antifungal. Um, pregnant women, uh, there should be a precaution on there because the only reason is there's no studies on pregnant women drinking pine needle tea, but it's been observed that if, pine, if a pregnant cattle eat pine needles, they can have abortion. So, you know, talk to your naturopath on that. But natokinase, it's, from, it's a Japanese dish of fermented soybeans. This is an enzyme that dissolves blood clots, clears arterial walls, which if you saw the blood analysis, um, you want to get those babies cleaned. High-dose vitamin C, enough for bowel tolerance, and that's 10 to 12 uh, grams a day. Um, magnesium, and this is hugely important, transdermal magnesium at night, but it's, it's, it's super important to have minerals. Glutathione. 
This is the master detoxificant, um, NAC, um, N-acetylcysteine. Uh, this is, it, it's actually, a lot of people are trying to take it off the market because it's so effective. It's not um, patentable, but it protects lung damage and blood clots, and this is what's wiping out a lot of people. Vitamin D3 and K2, super hugely important. You're looking at, we're going into the vitamin D deficiency syndrome, and you've got to have vitamin K with vitamin D2, or, or vitamin K with uh, D3. And this is hugely important. Um, and uh, omega-3s, vitally important because they lower blood flow or lower blood pressure, promote blood flow, protect the vascular walls. Zinc and quercetin together are extremely important. Um, and we're going to bring up a couple of case studies. And tonight, on the part that we cannot share, we have to share it on our our platform, our private platform, Dr. B VIP. We're going to talk about finding a job, okay, if your work is requiring a shot, go to redballoon.work, redballoon.work. Now, they're connecting employers who value freedom with employees that value freedom too. 85 million people, baby, are going to be quitting their jobs. So this way, line up a job, do not get the jab, do not get the jab. Um, there's no long-term studies on that, and you could look at Israel and the health of the people that have gotten it over the past few months, and you're going to find out it is not protecting your health. This is going to be wiping out a lot of people. So go to redballoon.work, find an employer that doesn't um, force you to get a medical procedure without informed consent, and we're going to talk a lot tonight um, about getting our freedoms back. <sighs> It's a crazy world, but it, um, we're we're co-creators of the world with God, and you're here now, so you must be a badass. This is Dr. John Bergman. God bless you, and I love you. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.